My message today is called The Underdogs of Christmas, and I think from now until uh, Christmas, I'm going to do a series of kind of the underdog characters of the Christmas story. And um, I don't, I've never heard anyone kind of do it this way, and so I just had this idea because I was studying some of the characters in the Christmas story along the way that you don't necessarily hear about or aren't talked about much. And today, I want to focus specifically, and of course, when we get to Christmas, we'll, we'll We'll, we'll talk about the main subject, of course, the, the birth of our Savior. But today I want to talk about Joseph. Everyone's like, that doesn't sound exciting at all. <laughs> Joseph is actually a fascinating character. And how many of you like history? Especially when it comes to like cultures and traditions and all that kind of stuff. I don't know about you, I love to travel. And I love to, to travel for two reasons. The first one you can probably figure out, food, all right? The second one is I love to learn about traditions and cultures that are different from ours, the beauty of them, how they function and work in community, and I love that. I want to kind of teach you about one of the cultural traditions that will help you understand actually how amazing of a man Joseph was and what we can learn from him. The wedding tradition and the tradition of union in Jewish culture which usually, um, now y'all, this is going to, I don't want to upset anybody here, but this was kind of what was normal back then. Uh, but normally, a, a girl would be betrothed, promised to uh, marry uh, around between 11 and 13 years old. That was culturally normal. It is not culturally normal today, but back then it was completely culturally normal. So nobody thought anything of it. And she was usually betrothed to a man somewhere in the age of 17 years old. We assume that Mary was probably in the 12 to 13 year old range. And we're going to get to Mary as one of our underdogs of Christmas here as we get closer. Can you imagine carrying the promise that the world had been waiting for at the age of 13 years old? Come on, if you think age is it stopping you from anything, okay, we'll get to her. But Joseph was probably 17. I don't know if you know any 17-year-old boys, but they're morons, okay? <laughs> Nothing has idiot written across their head more than a 17-year-old boy. Not 16, not 18, 17 seems to be the age where they do the dumbest things, all right? How do I know this? Because I was one, all right? 17 years old, Joseph was. And what would happen is there's three stages in the marriage custom during this, these times. There was the betrothal. There was the, um, the period of preparation. And then there was the actual wedding feast. And during that week of the wedding feast would be when they would actually consummate the marriage. If you don't know what that means, Google it. Don't Google it. Um, those three stages are what would happen. So a, a, usually a family would say to a man, you know, we are betrothing our daughter to you. When that would happen, they would actually uh, exchange vows. And they would exchange vows together very similar to what our wedding vows would be here today. So they would consider them man and wife at the moment or at the ceremony of betrothal. They did not wait for the wedding feast or the consummation, 
which could happen a year later, to consider them man or wife. They were considered committed and married, not engaged, married in the moment of betrothal when they had those vows together. But what would happen is from the period of time between the betrothal and the wedding feast and consummation would be this period of preparation. Usually what that would be is on the bride side and, and sometimes on the bridegroom side, but on the bride side, they would begin to plan the wedding feast. And it wasn't like we could like, you know, order food from Michael's on East and, and get so staged to come in and bring decorations and then, you know, hire the, the, the best wedding officiant in town over there. Um, they, they wouldn't do that. They, 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 would, they would have to um, gather through trade, through going to markets, to different people coming in and out of the city. They'd have to gather what they would need to even make the dresses or gowns. So it would take an enormous amount of time, literally a year's time, to make all the gowns, to get ready with all the food, to get all the decorations, to secure everything they would need. Why? Because they couldn't just go out and purchase it, A. And B, it was a week-long event of essentially drinking and dancing and eating. A week long. And so that period of preparation between the betrothal and the, um, and the wedding feast and the consummation of the marriage would have been where we're getting ready to pick this up. That period of time in there is when we're going to see this Matthew chapter 1 um, come up here. I don't think I sent to you, and I'm sorry. There was a lot going on this morning here. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, you already know this, so you don't even need to have it on the screen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, but before they came together, that's that year later, the consummation during the wedding feast, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. When they committed to one another in their vows, at that moment forward, they'd committed to being, they'd committed to being man and wife, were considered man and wife, and of course, from when it came to their bodies, they committed their bodies to one another. Not only did they commit to not um, being physically uh, intimate with anyone else, but they also committed to and signed, and the vow was very, very, there was a lot of weight put on this. They, they committed to not being physically intimate with one another. And during that time, the man, in this traditional sense, would usually learn a trade. They would go and learn a trade. So we can assume usually they would learn the trade from their father. And then also they would prepare a place. They would build a house. I mean, it, it actually kind of makes a lot of sense if you think about this, right? They would prepare a place to bring their bride back to. Now, y'all, I could preach this like a house of fire, but I'm not going to. You're just going to have to do it in your mind, okay? Okay? The scripture that says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. You read that and you understand it when they're talking about, it's not, they're not talking about heaven, y'all. I mean, they are, but they're talking, they're making a cultural reference to this because oftentimes the bridegroom would build an addition to his father's house. 
and that's where him and his wife would live. They would live as a family and in just all these little, um, basically like apartments all connected together. Rooms, that's how they lived. So he would prepare a place and he would learn a trade. So you got Joseph probably working 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week. If he wasn't learning his trade, he was trying to build and prepare a place. Also, another interesting fact, and I, I, I told myself I wasn't going to tell you all this because I was going to save it, but y'all, you came to church the Sunday after Thanksgiving, so you deserve all the mustard, all right? You got me? All the gravy, not just a little drop in the center of the mashed potatoes, the whole gravy, all right? Another thing, another very interesting fact that you might appreciate is that the, the son or would live with his father as he was preparing a place, usually learning the father's trade. And the son could not go and get his wife and consummate the marriage and start the wedding feast until his father approved of the place he had prepared for his bride. So you couldn't put together some shoddy place and say, because I don't know about you, but when you're 17 and you've, you know, you've committed, you know, it's like a, a year. Could mom, could you sew a little faster over there, right? Could we be real with each other? No, no. That place needed to, to be a place that was, that was more than sufficient to be able to build a family. It had to be a nice place. And the dad would be the one that would approve and say, okay, it's good enough. You can go. You can go get her. You, you, can, you can make this official, if you will. Y'all, I could preach that too. You're just going to have to take that home. That's a little nugget for you, right? Um, so... So this time period, this period of preparation, I'm going to get to one main point I'm building to. I'm going to tell you a lot of history and a lot of stories. I'm going to leave you with one really good, you're going to know it when I hit it, because it is the main thing I want you to leave here with today. So this period of preparation that would have gone on, uh, during that time, Mary essentially comes to Joseph and says, hey, so something happened. I have a surprise. Joseph, um, Joseph has two options. Church, he has two options. The first option is he brings public charges, brings the rabbi in. He brings public charges against his wife, essentially, for the obvious. And she's stoned. And the life of the baby she's carrying and herself are taken because of what she's done. Option number two, he divorces her silently or privately, which means essentially, y'all, this is very important, essentially he's going to take back the vows he made. He's going to basically place the blame on himself. He's going to say, it was me. I broke the vows. So therefore, we can't get married. He's going to do it privately, thus saving the life of the woman and child. Joseph, at this point, we have to assume, believes that Mary has stepped out on him. But even with that, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, learning a trade, building a house, and you're over there with you know, Joey down the street. He says, you know what? I don't want her to experience any shame. 
By doing it privately, he removed the townspeople's shame from off of her shoulders and put them upon himself. Even though he knew for a fact, him and Mary I'm not going to say anything. I'm not looking for words. They know. <laughs> He's like, God, what is he going to say? <laughs> That's true. He knew it wasn't on him. He knew he had kept the vows. But he said, you know, I'm going to do this in a way where she's protected, where she can go on with her life and not walk around in shame. This is where we get picked this up. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What the Bible leaves out here is by not putting her to shame, he took the shame upon himself. And in a town like this where nobody came and nobody went and families lived for centuries and millennia in the same town, he would not only ruin his name, but he would ruin the name of his families for generations to come. They would always be known as the guy who did X, Y, and Z and couldn't wait. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from her sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. I want to point something out to you that's another side note. This is some more gravy for you. Joseph is never quoted in the Bible having said anything. Joseph has zero quotes in the Bible. I mean, Goliath has quotes in the Bible. but the earthly father of Jesus is not even quoted in the Bible. A lot of times we think that he had a conversation with the angel. According to the Bible, I just read it to you. There's zero quotes. He just, there was no conversation. The angel of the Lord came to him and said, buddy, I know what you're thinking. That's not what happened. He didn't, according to the Bible, even have a conversation with the angel. He woke up and he was obedient and he went and did it. Yeah. He has a dream and he wakes up and knows it's the word of the Lord and he does it. And this isn't a sermon on obedience, but if you need to hear that, hear it. He does it. He wakes up and goes, you know what? I'm going to do this. But you know what he was saying yes to, church? By staying with Mary, he was A, either admitting publicly that he broke these vows thus tainting his name, his father's name, and their future relationship for the rest of their lives it would follow them. They didn't just let you off the hook. There was no penance. Couldn't go light a candle. You're done. Or, if he stayed with her and said essentially, it's not mine, but I'm going to marry her, I'm going to have the wedding feast, or I'm going to, 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 to be with her anyways... Then he's raising an illegitimate child. 
which is even worse. Because the seed of a lineage was so important. The Bible itself even takes time to go, this one beget this one, beget this one, beget this one, beget this In other words, this seed. The Bible talks about the seed of Abraham. The Bible talks about the lineage and the order of Melchizedek. The Bible talks about the lineage of David. The Bible talks and puts a lot of value, and thus we can assume that ancient culture put a lot of value on the direct bloodline and Joseph couldn't claim that this child was even in his bloodline. And we see the most important adoption in the history of mankind. If you're adopted, if you were adopted, you need to hear this. This was the most important and most unbelievably world-changing, life-altering adoption in mankind. Because when that baby was born and eight days later when it was circumcised and it, the Bible says that Joseph named him according to what the dream, the angel of the Lord said. Joseph named him Jesus. And by the father, the father who this baby was illegitimate, it wasn't his seed. By the father placing a name on that baby, he was in essence, according to ancient Jewish law, adopting that baby in that moment. If the mother named him, it was an illegitimate child. If the father, oh, come on, someone needs to hear this. This isn't even my point today. Because when the father names you, he's claiming you. Come on. It doesn't matter where you came from or what you've done or what circumstance you came out of. When the father says, yeah, I know it's not, it wasn't, this wasn't supposed to happen this way, but I call this one mine. Come on. There's power in your name. When he says you're a son and a daughter, he means it. Still not my point today, but you can take that too. Another freebie. I want you to think about this, and I'm pretty much almost done. I want to make this very, very important point because I think it's important for us as a church. I also think it's why the last couple of weeks, and I don't mean to spiritualize it, that this thing keeps attacking my throat, and I want to tell you why. I believe that, um, that Joseph did something that was I've kind of set up here for you to understand. Joseph was entrusted with participating in a promise that the world was waiting for. He couldn't really claim it on his own, as his own. The Bible clearly shortchanges it when it comes to quoting him. He was really essentially, and still to this day, a nobody in the story. If anybody celebrated other than Jesus, it's Mary. He's a nobody in the story. He didn't carry the baby. He didn't father the baby biologically. He knew that by staying with Mary, listen to me, church, that for the rest of their days, the people in that town would shame him, would label him, would talk about him. The religious elite and leaders of the day would point their finger and say, I don't know what you're doing, why you're doing this. You could have been free and clear of this. You could have put this on her. This is not your problem. Why are you trying to fix this, Joseph? Just go on with your life and have the life that your parents dreamed of you always having. You know what Joseph decided to do? He believed so much in the promise of God. He believed so much in the task that God had given him that he didn't care what the religious elite 
and the townspeople had to say. Yeah, my dad said they made a proclamation and said that Jesus was a bastard child. I know today we can't really put it into perspective because we have so many blended families and, 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 and it's become such a socially normal thing. This was not okay. This is like, do you understand that they would take a woman out into the square and stone her for having an illegitimate child in her bosom? Her. Stone her to death without blinking an eye. It was that big of a problem. And Joseph looked, listen to me, Joseph looked tradition in the face. And he said, I'm not saying that tradition is bad. I'm not saying anything like that. But there are moments when our traditions will fight against us being obedient to the promise of God. Do you hear me? Sometimes our traditions are the very thing that are keeping us from being true to the promise of God. And I have been guilty of it, I promise you. Because we believe this is what we're supposed to do and we're afraid what people will think if we don't do it. We will miss out on opportunities to change the world. Do you understand that if Joseph had not made this decision, I don't know what would have happened, but Joseph was one of the most important key parts of this because he was able to, that Mary couldn't at 13 years old, especially during this culture, go out and provide for this baby. She would have had nowhere to live, nowhere to go. We don't know what would have happened to Jesus. He would have never, maybe ever even gotten to the point where we would do the miracles and give the sermon. We don't know what would have happened if Joseph wouldn't decide to say, you know what? You might look at me like that for the rest of my life, but I will keep true to the promise of God because what he has put in front of me to protect and to participate in, I'm not going to back away from because what God has asked me to do is more important than what you think about me. Come on. Church, if you think I'm trying to make a point, I am. My point to you is this. We as a church are not called to make everybody happy. <laughs> you hear me today? If you come to church here, you're an underdog, just like Joseph was. You are an underdog. You're somebody who probably has been asked. I mean, when you come, listen, this is funny because, like, if you go, I don't know how that's, there you go. That's a sign. Probably to stop right now. Um, you know, there are certain churches in town. I'm not going to name them because they're all wonderful people, and I love this community. But there are certain churches in town. They're like the churches to go to. And like people, people are like, you know, they just say to you, you know, I'm just going to make up a church. But I, probably if I make up a church, it's going to be in this town. But let me just say um, Oceanside. We're going to call it. No, that's, that's too close. Whoopsies. <laughs> there are certain churches in our town where you just say, what they are, and it's like a status symbol. I have never heard one of you brag about coming to harvest, and I am disappointed in you greatly. <laughs> None of you go around town wearing a harvest sticker on the back of your car, okay? Because it's like, I, I have literally been around people who didn't know that I was paying attention. So I was like, oh, do you go to church? And they're like, yeah. They're like, where? Harvest. What? Harvest. It's, uh, it's a community church there. I get it. I totally understand it. This church has never been cute and pretty and slick and all that kind of stuff. But I promise you one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. We have some world-changing, 
community-changing mission in front of us, not just what we've done or what we're doing. We've got some stuff in front of us that I don't, at the end of the day, give a rip what anyone thinks because we are called to affect change. And sometimes the only way you can get change to happen, sometimes the only way you can get people to experience the love of God that have never experienced the love of God, sometimes the only way to break down some of these religious walls and barriers is to go against the tide, to swim upstream like a salmon and look tradition in the face and say, you know what, I'm sorry, but that is holding me back from, from actually participating and protecting the promise of God in my life. So I'm sorry, I don't mean to be offensive, but no thank you. I don't care what you have to say. I don't care what you label. We're going forward with the promise of God because we might just be hanging on to, we might just be fathering. Come on. We might just be fathering something that's going to save millions. Do you hear me today? Do you understand? We don't, we don't know the most of the upbringing of Jesus, but do you realize that Jesus was a carpenter, Joseph was a carpenter? First of all, another little bit of gravy for you. They probably didn't work with wood because there's not a lot of wood in Israel. They were stonemasons more than likely. They were carpenters of stone. So Jesus, listen to me, Jesus, in order to become a carpenter, would have had to learn from his father, which means day in and day out, Joseph was one of the ones that was actually teaching Jesus what it looked like to be a man. Pouring into his life. Walking through town with his illegitimate bastard child. Pouring into his life, not giving a rip what anyone has to say about him because he knew the promise inside of him. He knew who he was. He knew what God had promised him. Come on, if you think Lakewood Ranch is judgy, you should have walked down the streets of... You want to walk down some streets, you're going to walk down some streets there, and they're going to be like, they'll, they'll, there's an illegitimate child coming down the road because it's, this town that they lived in, the, Bethlehem, of course, they were in Bethlehem and Nazareth, but Bethlehem, which was Joseph's hometown where he went back for the census, Bethlehem was between 500 and 1,000 people. If there's an illegitimate child, everybody knows about it. Everybody, everybody which means they would cross the road and walk on the other side of the road like you're a leopard because your son's illegitimate. Can you imagine what he dealt with and what he had to day in and day out say, I don't actually care. I have the promise of the Lord by my side and I have a mission that I am not going to focus on anything else or what anyone else has to say, or anyone else's opinion, because I have a mission, and this mission is going to impact the world. I want to tell you this. Not only does this church have that on our lives, not only do I have that on my life, my parents, you have that on your life. And if you pay attention to all of the critics, you're going to miss out on the promise of God that he wants to do in your life. If you care what Uncle Crazy Joe, who, who drinks too much eggnog every Christmas and gets belligerent and says mean things, if you care, if you let that bother you, it's going to hold you back. Come on, it's going to hold you back from actually doing what God's called you. If you start paying attention to the naysayers and the critics, it will hold you back from what, because at the end of the day, the whatever shame they put on you, you know that there's one that came that died to remove the shame that they could ever throw your way. Come on. I got to wrap this up. That's okay. Um, get ready for the next service. 
I'm going to, I'm going to speak from now until, I mean, unless my dad or anyone else wants to jump in, that's all, but now till Christmas, we are going to learn, A, going to dive into history. Now, I'll tell you this right now. This historical stuff takes me more time to repair because I want to get it right, and I'm okay with that. It just does. It's much harder than just grabbing some scriptures and a topic and talking about it. Um, but I want us to learn as we move into Christmas. I imagine us all sitting around, maybe on Christmas Eve, maybe here at the party on Christmas Eve Eve that we have here, or the, the service we have, or maybe Christmas morning. I imagine us sitting around in, with the gifts being opened and the carols being sung, all of us at some point hearkening back to some of these messages leading up to it and putting this nativity story into a different, completely different light than we've ever seen it before. There was so much happening, so much symbolism, so much hope, so much goodness, so much patience, so much obedience that made what we celebrate as the nativity and Christmas story happen. And over the next couple of weeks, I want to get into some of these underdogs, and then we're going to finish talking about the actual birth of Jesus. I have some characters in mind that you may never think about. We started with a little more obvious of the one today. But I want you to leave here. Uh, there's a lot of points I made today that I just kind of, if, it, if, it, if the shoe fits, wear it. I want you to leave here today in your mind. And you know what? I'm going to say this to you today. Some of the greatest critics that any of us will ever hear don't come from anybody else. They come from us, ourselves. It's time for you and me, all of us in this room, to put aside anything, whether it's coming internally or externally, that doesn't line up with the promise of God for us and our loved ones. Stop entertaining it. Stop putting any value on it. Stop rehearsing it. And lock in. This man had one dream, one dream, and that was enough. He locked into it. He grabbed a hold of it like, a, like an alligator, locked his jaws on a dream, one dream from an angel. And look what it accomplished. He fathered and raised the Savior of the world and never even got real credit for it. We don't talk about him. If we do a, like a, like a, if you go to see a passion play, it's like, we need a Joseph. He doesn't need to talk. He just needs a beard. Anybody have a beard? You. You don't need to talk. Can you walk? Yes? Okay. You have a beard? Okay. Can you nod your head? You don't even need to, we don't even need you to hear, hold the baby, okay? Just don't worry about any of it. Can you hold? Just, just stare. We just need you. It's not a speaking part, sir. I mean, but look at the impact he had. He didn't get all the spotlight. Didn't get it, all the uh, accolades. Look at the impact he had. Because he locked onto the promise said, God, you've given me a mission. And I don't care what anyone else has to say. You've given me a mission, I'm gonna do it. When you leave here right now, I want you to ask yourself, what mission has God given me? And what is standing in the way? 
what is lying to me, what is pulling me away from, what is deterring me, what promise has God put inside of you. Hold fast to it today. Shut off the critics. And walk out of here with your head held high going, you know, I might never get credit for this, but I'm going to go do it anyways because it's going to change the world. Amen? Amen? I love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. God bless you.